We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Hey guys, welcome back to the Guilty as Charged podcast. This is Tyler, and joining me as always are Jason and Steven. On hi. Tuesday, we talked about... Oh, hi. <laughs> On Tuesday, we talked about Garden Center. This time, we'll be finishing off the offensive line with a discussion about offensive tackles from this upcoming class. But before we get into their draft prospects, Jason and Steven have a really cool interview uh, to share with you guys where they got to interview former Chargers and Bills offensive lineman Chris Hairston, who played in a total of 74 games in the NFL. Check it out. All right, Chargers fans, we got a good one here for you today. We're excited and happy to be joined by six-year NFL veteran Chris Hairston, who is a former Charger, as many of you know. Uh, we're just really pumped for this interview. How are you doing, Chris? I'm doing good. Uh, glad you guys had me on. Um, excited to be on. Excited to you know, say a little bit about the Charger situation. and Just excited to be here. Awesome, awesome. That's you know, it's really good to hear it. And like you said, you know, it is an exciting time to be a Chargers fan and be able to listen in and kind of see what's going on behind the scenes. Um, we are here to talk about the offensive linemen and specifically uh, some offensive tackle play. Uh, but real quick, I did want to ask for your thoughts on the Philip Rivers situation. Um, do you think the team handled it well? Uh, what should the team do going forward? And just your general thoughts about that. Uh, I think they handled it about as well as as well as they could. Um, you know, me, a big fan of Phil, myself, wanted them to go out with a huge parade. You know, big press conference, all the trimmings, and but that didn't really happen because I mean, obviously, Phil's still pursuing a career, and the team's still looking forward to the draft and the combine and everything. So, I mean, this is as smooth a transition as you could expect. Even uh, even and going forward, I like Tyrod. I mean, I like him being the bridge quarterback and showing what he can do because I think he'll be able to do a lot in his offense, especially when we get a little bit more help as the combine draft comes up. And I think I think this Charger team will be a competitor a lot quicker than people will expect. What do you think the the difference is between making the smart football decision by moving on from Phil and uh, maybe trying to appease the fan base going into this L.A. market and trying to – it's no secret that they're kind of struggling with the fan situation right now. So do you think it was the right move to go with maybe the the smart football decision versus keeping fans happy? Um, Yeah, I don't even think they're – 
thinking of the fans' mindset going into any of these decision-making processes. And I think they're just trying to figure out a way to win and a way to go forward and for the next five to ten years. Because, uh, I mean, this is about the time that you got to, you know, let Lynn, Coach Lynn get his guys in, uh, build a team with his identity and see what happens. Uh, not saying Phil couldn't have been a part of that, but it's, I mean, it's rare that you get the opportunity with such good quarterbacks at the top of the draft. Uh, just the timing up of how, you know, the salary cap is and the amount of talented players that you're looking to keep around. Uh, I just think now is just as good a time as any to make the move and try to make the transition as smooth as possible. Yeah, for sure. I think there's definitely a lot of things going on. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of people and a lot of fans are, are kind of trying to find out who to blame. And obviously a lot of blame has been placed on the play of the offensive line over the last few years. Um, but I think it's in general, it's really hard to play offensive line at a really high level when you have so much shuffling around and um you know Trent Scott played both sides of of the line and Forrest and Lamb played different positions and Dan Feeney played different positions uh can you kind of speak on how difficult and what really is going on in the psyche of an offensive lineman when you're asked to do so many different things I mean it's a lot it's a lot on your plate uh it doubles the you know, the amount of study time you're going to have to put in because you're going to have to know, you know, who rushes on what side, who plays on what side, how they play, how you should approach them with your skill set. Uh, and once it starts to become a musical chairs kind of situation, you know, it puts a whole, whole lot on your plate. And in order to be a good, in order to operate, you know, in a good offense, that offensive line has to have, uh, a sense of continuity, not even in the sense of, you know, the same person in the same spot, but knowing exactly what to expect from the person at that spot and knowing exactly what their skill set allows them to do. And, you know, having guys that, you know, aren't as, you know, physically gifted and then you put on, you know, a bit more of the pressure when you got to you know, you're not sure what side you're going to be on at the beginning of the week. And then even more pressure knowing, you know, we're going to drop back 30, 40 times a game. And, but uh, it could be hard when you don't get the running game going. You're not able to come in week in, week out and have a game plan that you can consistently go to when it's time for pressure downs. And, uh, you know, it's, it's rough, especially when the injuries get played in. I mean, the Chargers have had, you know, a whole lot of bad luck in the past six, seven years, <laughs> seems. So you've you've mentioned before on Twitter specifically, um, mm-hmm. the Chargers had a lot of patience with Forrest Lamp, and they tend to have patience with these offensive linemen. Um, do you think that maybe that patience um, – Maybe that it's to a fault almost with guys like uh, Trent Scott, but guys with like Trent Scott and um, Forrest Lamp, Dan Feeney, where they've they've kept them around, but they they do tend to struggle and uh, pass up on a right tackle in in 2019. Uh, do you think that patience is almost to a fault? Um, it's hard to say because I mean the patience is always going to be to a fault until it works out. Um, you know, I think those guys do have the talents and the abilities, but it just hasn't, you know, meshed together. Their ability to prepare themselves has been thrown off by injury here, injury there in Lamp's case. And, you know, the, just the opportunities to get better and to, to, you know, develop these old linemen, you got to take the time. And when it works out, that's when you'll be able to, you know, look back and say, man, it was worth it. Cause, uh, I mean, they got to make it work out soon. They got to figure out, you know, who's going to be there because I don't think they'll give them, it won't be like the, the sense of urgency will have to be ratcheted up in order to, you know, get some good product, you know, out on that field immediately, which is, you know, obviously the, you know, primary concern. I guess, I guess I, I should ask uh, in a little bit different context um, yeah. with this being 
do you think that this was known to be Philip Rivers last year? And if it if it was known, do you think that patience with the O line was um maybe bad timing? Uh yeah, I mean you can you can't say, you know, the way it uh it impacted the the end of Phil's career in San Diego, you know, slash LA. Uh it really put a damper on it. Uh to say that he progress he regressed is, you know, almost hard to to really stand on that statement knowing how bad the play was. Even when I was there, you know, you know Phil can make it happen. And me, I'm biased and I can say that I'm biased in my assessment of Phil, but I still think he can play at a very, very high level and uh, make it happen. I think the O-line play as of late has held that back. You know, you're talking about if Phil Rivers can and can can keep playing. I, I think he can, and I think he'll show that um, if he gets the opportunity. Um, there are, a, you know, shifting to some players in, the, in this upcoming draft, there are a bunch of players who could potentially be shifting positions. And you played both guard and tackle in the NFL. Um, and I think a lot of times, like we just talk about it as fans, as, it's, as if it's just this easy thing of like, oh, this tackle can switch to guard. Can you kind of give us some insight on, on what switching positions really entails? And and is it easy? Is it hard? Like what what's the thought process there? I mean, it's almost impossible. <laughs> and not to say it's not impossible. I mean, I didn't do it at a, you know, very high clip or at a very high quality. I was bad at guard, very bad, but I was able to understand what we were trying to get done. Uh, I was able to understand the protections, the assignments, uh, you know, and I was able to give it as much as I could, give it all the effort I could. But, I mean, it's extremely, extremely hard. Um, the types of athletes that you're facing is totally different. Uh, and that interior line across the league is getting better and better and better. Uh it just seems they're getting better and better athletes down there in the, in the trenches. I think my first start at guard was against Haloti Nada, and he is just unreal. The, just a totally different athlete than, you know, blocking Von Miller, Khalil Mack, and being able to have somebody on your team that can do that really is an invaluable tool. Yeah, I think at the – I think at the tackle position these days, it's so important to have guys who are really athletic and, and can handle the speed rushers like Vaughn Miller, like you're saying. And you, know, you got a really good one in, in Chase Young coming in. Um, so if you were, if I want you to put your Tom Telesco hat on if you can for a second and, and you know, you're tasked with fixing this offensive line. Mm -hmm. Do you invest in the draft early? Do you sign some free agency? Like, like what would your thoughts be on, on attempting to fix a, the offensive line issue? Um, I mean, it's all going to be coming down to, uh, really how you scout the second, third, fourth, fifth rounds. Cause I think they're going to have to definitely use some draft capital in the mid round picks and, uh, and also look at free agent acquisitions, uh, to get better now. I mean, it's not going to be something it's going to be, have to be a comprehensive effort, uh, they they could also give a look back to the guys that you know you know were there on the roster last year uh see who improves but it's it's going to it's going to be a now or never thing i believe i think the uh if i had the Tom Telesco hat on you got to get a pick and you got to get it right and you got to hit in free agency in order to expect uh any market improvement Having to improve this O line uh, in general overall, how much, how many moves can you make before it's it's too much? Because I, I imagine if you go out and sign three free agents and then draft two guys and start try to throw them all out in the field, it'd just be a mess. So do you do you have to do it one piece at a time and try to gradually repair this O line over over time? Um, I think the process will take at least two years, at least two to three years, uh, to get it to the, 
I believe, to the level that the fans are expecting. Where, I mean, O-line play is either a you're elite and you're getting the job done, you know, game in, game out, or you're not. It's not something where you can kind of be middle of the pack, even with the improvements, and expect people to be happy with that. So it's going to be something where uh, I think it's going to be a significant amount of uh, scouting hours, a significant amount of uh, coaching, development, and just a lot of resources put into making it happen. And I, I mean, I would go, I would, my, me, myself, I don't believe in the idea that you can't make big changes quickly. Uh, I just think it would have to definitely be something everybody understands and focuses on and everybody in the room is made clear of in the OL room, you know, all the way up until, you know, to Tom. It's going to be, it'll definitely have to be, I'm not saying wholesale change, but it'll be big changes. Yeah, definitely like you're saying, that it takes a, a big collaborative effort to to make this right and to make sure that they have the right pieces around um, either Tyrod or, or the quarterback of the future. Mm-hmm. Um, so you did go to Clemson. You know, you are a, a Clemson alum, and I, I did want to get your thoughts on their highest-rated uh, prospect this year, which is Isaiah Simmons. Yeah. Um, have you had a chance to watch him play very much? What are, what are, your, what are your thoughts on, on, on Simmons? Oh, I think he's amazing. Uh, I watched him play the past two years a whole lot, and um, I think he's, I think he'll be the impact defensive player that could possibly be a DPOY candidate. You know, as soon as you plug him into any style of defense, and uh, I mean, he could play at any level of the defense. Uh, he's a strong side linebacker on the line against, you know, tight ends and all the way back to safety. And, you know, he can make an impact at all of those spots. And I think you'll see that wherever he goes. And, uh, I mean, he's been impressive to watch him coming through on the blitz, him pass rushing, uh, on the edge, him covering in space, uh, tackling in space. I mean, he can do it all. He's an impact guy. He's a real big, big, big deal. Yeah, he really is. And I think, you know, there's this big debate, or, or not necessarily a debate, but this conversation <clears throat> of whether or not he's a safety or a linebacker. But I think you really can't put a limit on him. You know, you've got to use him kind of like the Chargers use Derwin James and just have him be that athlete all over the field and line him up, and, and that really is where he's going to succeed. Definitely, definitely. Watching him in the in the playoff run that they had, you know, I know they came up short, but it was impressive. You know, I, I can't remember who tweeted it out, but he lined up at like seven different positions in the championship game, which was insane. Um, Jason, did you have any other questions for Chris? Yeah. While we're on the, the conversation of prospects, I want to know who your, who your number one tackle prospect is, and then maybe a sleeper that you like that you've noticed in this draft class that you, that you think could make an impact. I'd say I like uh, Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. I think he's a big time, big time athlete, and he he'll be a you know top tackle for years to come. Whoever he goes, uh, a guy I like a lot who I think will project to be a big time right tackle in the league, Makai Becton out of Louisville. I don't think he's much of a dark horse or a sleeper by any means, but I, I like him a lot. I hadn't seen you know a whole lot of uh, press on him. As of late, and um, I don't know. It's hard to say. Uh, it's a lot of good tackles, though. I mean, not a ton after like the top six, but I mean, I like the draft class for O line. You can you can find some uh, value in there early. Yeah, I think this is a really good time for uh, teams to be needing that that tackle help. You know, I think um, Andrew Thomas is is. He's my number one rated tackle just for my own film study. But um, yeah, man, that Beckton guy, he uh, he is really he flashes on film. He is physical. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He flashes. He jumps off the film, and uh, I mean, I don't think he'll. And technically, you clean him up, he'll be he'll be a big deal. So I didn't think the Chargers O line was 
that bad. Um, and I, I know I'm in the minority on it. I don't think so either, honestly. I just I just want to know your thoughts on the Chargers line. I thought they were put in a bad spot, and I thought guys like Trey Pipkins and I know, but even Trent Scott p- performed admirably for the spot that they were put in. And I just want to know your thoughts on those guys. Oh, I got a lot of respect for the 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 fight they went out there in cave and the ability to hold up against some really good rushes uh, in key spots during times, during stretches where the offense was really clicking and getting things done. I think for the type of offense that we wanted to run with, uh, you know, 17 at the helm as he's getting older, a little less mobile, a little less mobile, uh, you're going to have to have big time tackles. Uh, I think Russell showed that uh, the year before last when he went to the Pro Bowl. When you have a big time tackle in there, that offense really, really gets it, gets rolling. And, um, I don't think people realize how high a level that O-line would have to play to even be seen as satisfactory in that type of in that type of offense. So, I mean, it's a lot of respect to what those guys were able to do. And, you know, I don't want to minimize that. I think they played, you know, well and were put in bad spots a lot of times. But, uh, you know, nature of the game, you got to get it done however, whenever, wherever. Yeah, I, I think you hit the nail on the head right there. You know, it's, you know, the GM and the coaches are going to get a lot of slack for how it, the season went. But, you know, it's really hard to prepare for your best offensive lineman getting a pulmonary embolism. And then your right tackle, who showed some signs in the last year, was, was in and out of the lineup. And then your high draft pick left guard was in and out of the lineup. And then your starting center essentially broke his neck. So, yeah. Um, yeah, I think it's really easy to just point out like all oh, these offensive linemen like they're struggling, but you know, there's a lot of things that we have we've talked about in this twenty minutes that, you know, at the end of the day, they're human beings and they're doing their best efforts and definitely you know, this is not the team's first choice either. Absolutely. Um I mean I don't think people realize how crazy the situation has been for a while. Uh, is and I wouldn't even put it all on just the play of the guys. It's just the different types of injuries, how they happen, when they happen. Uh, I mean, it just hasn't been ideal, uh, and it's rough that it happened at the you know back end of Phil's career. Yeah, for sure. You know, and it's it's tough to just kind of criticize those guys like you're saying. Um, but I think that's that's kind of going to wrap it up for us. Unless Jason, you had another question for him. Nope, that's it for me. All right. Sounds good. Chris, thank you so much for joining us again. And uh, Chargers fans, if you can, make sure you follow Chris. You know, he's a, he provides a lot of uh, good insight on Twitter. And, you know, he's definitely a person that you want to follow and um, stay in touch with if you can. Um, all right, Chris, yeah. thanks so much. And uh, best of luck going forward. And, and uh, best wishes to you and your family as well. Thank you. I appreciate it. Really do. Good job. Thanks again, Chris, for the opportunity. Oh, oh, shit. That's all good. <laughs> God damn it, guys. It's all good. (laughs) Thanks again, Chris, for the opportunity. And if you'd like to follow Chris, you can find him on Twitter at chairston75. Before we get into the draft, tell me about that interview, guys. Did you guys learn anything? Are there any big points you can take from it? Yeah, definitely. There were a lot of good uh, conversations that we were able to have about just the nuances about the offensive line that people don't really understand. And I think, you know, while there are certain criticisms that can be had about the performance, you know, just the context of the position really matters. And I think a lot of times we can justify like a quarterback throwing interceptions, like we can justify it with context, but there's not often that con that same uh, context offered for offensive line play. And that's something that we talked about, like these guys just being in thrown into rough situations and being put in places where they're not necessarily comfortable, but asked to succeed. And it's really tough. And, you know, he mentioned switching positions and how, difficult and how challenging that really is for players and oftentimes as fans were just like oh yeah let's switch so and so to guard or switch so and so to tackle and it really isn't that easy um so i think that was definitely a good conversation to have and it kind of helped me uh understand the position more so yeah i think one of the big takeaways i got from it was um definitely the the switching positions along the offensive line the continuity the chemistry it all plays a very big factor in how the offensive line functions and uh 
the keyword here is how they function together. Um, blitz pickups and even stunt pickups, they're, they're a huge deal. And uh, going up against some of the league's best, I mean, you got to think you're going up against Von Miller and you're going up against Frank Clark. Um, the, those guys aren't easy to block at all. Um, so when you, when you look at how much the offensive line moved as a whole, and, um, I know, I know I'm going to get backlash for the question, uh, that I asked Chris of, uh, I didn't think the Chargers offensive line was that bad. (laughs) I, I, I'm going to get hate for it. I am. I know it. But when you have the lack of mobility there and you have the the need to come back in these games to you're down by seven points you need to come back you need to drive down the field when you put these young guys young guys key thing there is you got pipkins and scott there at times both as the starters when you ask these young guys to block 45 times a game for like how what was the most amount of pass attempts he had in a game wasn't it 46 this season when you ask these these young guys to block that many times against, they played Khalil Mack, they played Von Miller, um, they played Max Crosby, who was a breakout guy for the Raiders. Uh, they, you can't ask Trey Pipkins and Trent Scott to do that. That's not going to happen. So I think I think talking to Chris Harrison about how this line was, uh, how they performed admirably despite all the issues around them, uh, I, I really enjoyed hearing that part of, of the conversation. Yeah, for sure. And I think there's definitely uh, more conversations that I'll be able to have a part of just because of that in that conversation with uh, Chris. There's definitely more things for me to learn and more things for me to pick up on. Uh, but it was also really interesting to, to hear his takes on on the quarterback situation. And, and, you know, he believes that Rivers can still play at a high level. And um, and he thinks that, you know, the Chargers with Tyrod are a really interesting team next year. So you know, I hope he's right. I hope that does come to fruition with Tyrod Taylor. And um, it was definitely interesting to to hear that from a former player like that. All right, guys, let's turn to the draft because every Chargers fan in the world knows this team needs a right tackle because the Sam Tevy experiment is over. Quick side story. I had to look this up. So trying to preview the 2019 season, I went back and watched some games from 2018. This is when I was with Bolt Beat. And in two games that I watched – Two of the games where the offensive line had a hard time was the regular season game against the Ravens and the postseason game against the Patriots. In those two games, I tallied the number of mistakes, like really obvious mistakes each offensive lineman made. And so here it is. Russell Okung, six. Feeney, eight. Pouncey, six. Schofield, 10. Sam Tevy came in at 24. So it didn't surprise me that Tevy was a weak link last year. Um, Yikes. and then, I mean, not, yeah. So now you have, and then you have a Kung who missed 10 games last year due to various medical issues. And you got Pipkins, a third round draft pick who was kind of hit or miss in, in left tackle spot duty. So this team at the very least needs to take a right tackle if they don't in free agency, and then maybe consider another tackle behind Pipkins if they let Okung walk. Um, so let's just get into it guys. Tell me about, uh, some of the day one picks, Steven, start us off. All right, so my first one is going to be Jedrick Wills. Um, he's the right tackle out of Alabama. He's 6'5", 320 pounds. Um, simply put, he is a mauler. Like he, When you watch a guy like Jack Conklin, who just really gets after it for the Tennessee Titans, like that's what Jedrick Wills is as well. Um, he st- has started 28 straight games for Alabama, which is something that I thought was really, you know, that doesn't really happen a whole lot for Alabama. They generally are, are a veteran-laden team. Um, but he kind of leapt onto the scene because he only allowed one sack as a sophomore. And he definitely took that play into this past year as a junior where he was able to really just show off and, and prove to people what he can be. Um, you know, there really is an incredibly interesting conversation for who the offensive tackle who should be ranked first is. Um, but for me, it's Jedrick Wills because he's the most well-rounded of the bunch right now, I think. Um, he's got quick feet, outstanding strength. He's big, and he's really good in pass blocking. He's got a great mirroring technique. He's got great hand placement, and he's a dog. He's got the perfect mentality where he can come in and just want to dominate people. Um, I know Jason's going to have his guy right here that's going to make it a little bit of an interesting conversation, but uh, Jedrick Wills is my tackle number one. All right, so tackle one for me is going to be Makai Becton out of Louisville, listed at 6'7", 370 pounds. So absolute behemoth. He's a, he's a monster, and he, it shows on film. This dude, um, 
And uh, Chris Harrison mentioned in the interview as well, he flashes on tape. And it, it really shows, he flashes often is the thing. It's not just, you know, once or twice a game. This dude will have a drive where he'll he'll just demolish people left and right. And then uh, these reps chain together where he throws the guy to the left and he throws to the guy to the right. And then I, I don't I don't think as an edge rusher I would ever want to play against Mekhi Becton. It's just seeing him, first of all, and then having fear in your heart. So a, a couple of things fun. Uh, technically and fundamentally to know about Mekhi Becton is he he sets the edge phenomenally. And that's in part due to just how big he is and how strong and powerful he is. He also has quick feet. He's quick for his size. So if if he wants to reach around you and set the edge, he can. And that's that's scary to think from a guy that's 6'7", 370. Um, as I mentioned, he's quick for his size. He has a strong initial punch, and he really makes a statement. And that's where those flashes on tape come is from that initial punch, that initial drive. He'll, he'll just absolutely demolish these guys, put them on their back. Um, and he has fantastic reach due to that size. He has he has good a good wingspan, and he does a good job of utilizing it along with that strength and uh, keeping rushers off balance early, which makes the rep a lot easier. And now, where he fails is he struggles to win with leverage, probably in part due to that height and that weight. He's just he really struggles to get that pad level down and win with that leverage. Um, and he doesn't hold up well on extended pass pro plays. So he wins the he will he'll win the battle early. But as the play progresses, um, QB starts scrambling. The play's going on. Um, he, he'll he'll struggle to to keep up with the uh, with the play as it's prolonged. Yeah, uh, you know there is so much to like about Beckton, and you know what I wrote down is that he's a rag. Like he plays like the other players are rag dolls. Like he just throws <laughs> dudes around, and you know if you pop on the film against Clemson, like. You know, Clemson has one of the better defenses in the country the last few years, and and he just was throwing dudes around like they were nothing. So there is definitely the physical prowess to like there. Um, like Jason was saying, I have a bit of I have a tiny bit of concern with his technique. Um, so that's why I had Wills over Beckton is just because I think Wills is better right now technically. Um, but you know, that really comes down to preference and and how high you value. Beckton's ceiling, which I think is and, the difference. And I think I, I described Beckton uh, earlier this season on Twitter as he threw he threw defenders like they were a wet paper towel. He'd just toss <laughs> them aside and they'd slap against the ground like they were soaked. Just just ridiculous to watch. It really is. And even if you just YouTube his highlights, like it's incredible. He'll have a great time. Uh, so my second guy in in the first round that we're going to highlight, he's my offensive tackle number three. So I do have Beckton number two. Um, number three is Andrew Thomas out of Georgia. He is 6'5", 320 pounds. And for me, I think he's the best pass blocker right now. I think he has the best technique. I think he has the best pass sets. I think he gets off the ball the quickest. Um, he doesn't have as strong of a punch as Wills or Becton, but he definitely is strong and he can make he can make it he can make it pay is, is what I'm trying to say. Um, he's played both sides. He play he has played right tackle and left tackle, so there is some versatility there. Um, but I think he, he has everything that you want in franchise left tackle. Um, he is a little more tenacious in pass sets than in in the run blocking situations, which I'm a little curious about. Um, he's not as vicious as I, and aggressive as as I would like in the run game. Um, but he is incredibly well rounded. Um, but Beckton and Wills are definitely more physical. So yeah, with Andrew Thomas, uh, you really get an aware and smart guy, good football IQ. It seemed like everything that was happening around him, he had a very good awareness of what was going on. He could pick up stunts and blitz, blunts. He could pick up stunts and blitzes really easily. <laughs> Time out. He's not Laramie Tunsil, okay? He's not Laramie Tunsil. <laughs> Wait, right? don't you mean Greg Robinson? He just picked up 175 pounds oh, a week yeah. today. <laughs> Watching too Andrew much Andrew Thomas. He's a very anyway, smart player. Uh, picks up stunts and blitzes very well. Um, he's very powerful. I listed power three times. Power, power, power. Every step, every punch, every movement. This dude is powerful. Um, now, what I do have listed here with Thomas as a negative is he has rare lapses in technique due to over-aggressiveness, where he just really wants to lay the wood and he'll he'll whiff occasionally or he'll his hand placement will be off but it, it is rare as i put there it's just an occasional thing all right moving on to to 
My day two guy is going to be Tristan Wirfs out of Iowa, listed at 6'5", 320 pounds. So Wirfs is a really athletic, mobile guy that will get to the second level and would be ideally a perfect fit for like a running back like Austin Eckler, where he really excels at going around these reach blocks at the second level and squeezing through tight spaces. Um, so if you're not going to get him at six. Tristan Wirfs just, he, he doesn't have the the power I would like at six. He, he lacks that that strength a little bit that other guys like Andrew Thomas and Mekhi Becton have. But he's a very versatile player. He didn't play left tackle until 2019. I don't know if either of you knew that. He didn't play tackle until 2019, and he made the switch to tackle and is now projected as a first-round pick. That's insane. That's insane. We were just talking about how difficult it is to move between guard and tackle, and this guy did it like it was nothing. Um, Another thing I noticed with Wirfs is he has a really good recovery. So in times where he's slow to get the initial punch or if he whiffs, he always seems to recover and put himself into a position to win despite the the initial fail. And um, some negatives I have on him is, again, he's not very powerful, and he's sometimes hesitant prior to blocks. I don't know if he's a, he, he has really good technique. I'm wondering if that technique sometimes, if he, he overthinks it a little bit, but he will hesitate prior to those, uh, especially once he gets to the second level. Sometimes he just won't, he won't commit. Uh, and he, he sometimes over pursues or overcompensates due to like prior moves that have beat him. So if he gets beat to the inside, you'll see him overcompensate a little bit to the inside on the next rep. And, uh, sometimes it works out and sometimes it'll, it'll cause a, a bad play. Yeah. You know, I think it's funny that you highlighted his ability to recover. Cause you know, I think a lot of times when I watch Andrew Thomas, for example, like you mentioned his whiffs, you know, his recovery isn't great, but if worse whiffs, He's going to get back to that guy nine times out of ten. Like, his recovery is incredible. And part of that is because of his his quick feet, like you highlighted. But um, his ability to recover, I think it really has elevated his draft stock. Um, so the next guy I'm going to highlight here is Josh Jones. He's the tackle out of Houston. He's 6'5", 310 pounds. He, uh, he has been a little bit of a late riser, not to the scale of Becton. But um, I think his stock has risen a bit in part th- – uh, due to his performance at the senior bowl. Um, I actually had to go back and watch him after the senior bowl because when I first watched him, I wasn't uh, too high on him. But um, when I went back and watched him a second time, there were a lot of good things that I really liked and I could see him sneaking back into the back end of the first round, but I've got a second round grade on him. Um, what I like about him is his, his passets are fantastic and he has a great first step. He's very mobile in the run game and Houston really did a good job of uh, making sure you, you could get him out on the edges and, and pulling up underneath the running back to uh, create some running lanes. Um, he was really close to getting a first round grade for me and really close to being a, a tier one, but there is a little inconsistency with his bend. And I think like what I mean, what I mean by that is there's a little bit of his tendency to kind of just bend forward or play too tall, you know, his, his stance and his um, just his overall anchor isn't super consistent. So I think that's why I have a second round grade on him. So yeah, I've seen Josh Jones listed as maybe even a first round like sleeper as somebody who could be a first round pick. I've seen him as high as like pick 16. And um, as high as that, I'm not sold even even at the top of the sixth or not sorry, not top of the sixth, but top of the second. I'm still not really sold. Um, He's athletic as heck for an offensive tackle. He he really does have all the tools that an offensive tackle needs. He's got great hand placement, um, great length, uh, great punch. Mm-hmm. Where where he really fails is tech like all the technique and yeah. all of it. He, he he's he's a technical mess. Pad level footwork. He struggles to find mm-hmm. work in both pass pro and at the second level. And so you you like all the tools he brings, and that's why he's probably going to be taken in the second round. And I would be okay with taking him in the second yeah. round for sure because yeah. of those tools. But then you're also getting into Trey Pipkins ter- territory, where the Chargers took Trey Pipkins because they loved the tools, but he was a technical mess. And I, I do think Josh yeah. Jones is a more technically refined than Trey Pipkins for sure, uh, a lot more because uh, he he obviously he has access to to more at Houston than so yeah. Seal Falls or wherever Sioux Trey Pipkins. Yeah. Well, Sioux I thought Falls. it was interesting because I watched Josh Jones's tape against Oklahoma, and he was great, and he had an awesome game, and, and the technical inconsistency wasn't very noticeable but then you watch them play against like Tulsa and that's where the inconsistency shows up and I feel like there's maybe a little bit of you know the coaching situation there isn't too great 
you know, it's kind of a mess of a program right now. So that could be it. Um, but That's if you pop true. on his you tape gotta... against, yeah, if you pop on his tape against Oklahoma, he had a great game. And like we were both saying, his physical tools are, are great. And I could see a team like Seattle taking him in the first round just because they kind of need that, that extra level of protection right now. So, um, but like he was saying, I think second round is probably where I would take him personally. All right. So moving on, I have Austin Jackson out of USC listed at six, six, 310. So Austin Jackson, Austin Jackson has solid athleticism. really solid. It's not, it's not anything to that, that blows you away on film. It's not anything that flashes, but he does have real solid athleticism. Uh, he has a high motor in his run blocks. He'll, he'll finish. He absolutely will. And, uh, he'll just run guys over at the second level. Uh, and he really anchors down at the line of scrimmage. Um, he one knock I have against him is he doesn't retreat very well against those those faster rushers going around the edge and bending around the edge. But when you ask him to stand there and anchor at that at that spot, he he'll do it and he'll do it well. And which is why I actually project him to be a better right tackle than left tackle at the next level, is because that right tackle is asked to anchor a lot more than that left tackle. Um, he struggles with slowing down rushers with good bend, which is I mentioned previously. And often finds himself off balance with those more agile rushers, particularly against spin moves. Um, he just finds himself off balance a lot. And uh, he's not a particularly strong tackle, I don't think. I've seen that listed as as a pro for him, as a strength. I, I don't necessarily see it. Um, but he is fundamentally sound with his hand placement to make up for it. Yeah, his hand placement is excellent. Um, yeah, I think when you're talking about strength, like it's it's such a it's such a wishy-washy thing to to see on film sometimes because, you know, you look at a guy like Becton and you're like, clearly this guy is strong. And Austin Jackson is strong, but, you know, just in comparison to some of the other tackles, I can think Josh Jones is probably a little bit stronger as well. Um, but Austin Jackson, he, you know, if he's the second-round pick for the Chargers, I would be thrilled with that. I think he offers a lot of upside. And sure. like Jason is saying, he could play either. I think he could play either side. Um, and there's a lot to like there. So moving on to my next guy, um, it's going to be Isaiah Wilson, also out of Georgia. You know, I, f- I felt a little bit, um, not necessarily confused, but I was kind of wondering if I wanted to highlight both Georgia tackles. Um, but I ended up going for it just because Isaiah Wilson, he's an athletic freak. You know, he's 6'7", 340 pounds, and he's not to the scale of Becton. But athletically, he has everything you want in a tackle, and I think he probably should have stayed in school. And if he had, he probably would be a first-round pick next year. Um, I think he probably ends up going in like the late second round, maybe early third. Um, but athletically, physically, he has all the tools that you want for a franchise cornerstone and his, you know, I tweeted the video today, but he's got an incredible punch and when he lands it, he's going to make you feel it. And if you're an edge rusher and, and your technique is even a little bit off, he's going to put you on your butt. Like that's just the bottom line. Um, he's going to, he does play tall. He doesn't have the greatest bend. I mean, he is six, seven. Um, he doesn't have the greatest bend, but you know, like I said, you have all the physical tools there. And, and if he was the pick in like the third round, I think that would be phenomenal. So yeah, I love Isaiah Wilson and uh, that that size. He it's six seven. He definitely got the length, uh, impressive length to really keep those edge rushers at a distance. Uh, Wilson has all the tools needed, as you mentioned. He has that that power, and he does have a little athleticism too. Uh, He's a he's great anchor, a lot like Austin Jackson. How he can just he could sit there and he won't let anybody buy him, uh, and he brings it. He really brings it. He flashes on film like I don't know how else to explain it, but he brings it, especially in the run game. And um, one thing I do have knocked against him is his balance overall. I don't I don't think his occasionally you you mentioned that strong punch when he when he misses it you can definitely see him get taken advantage of by those by those rushers and i think uh there's some questions with his fundamentals where if he stayed another year his stock would have would have been a lot higher uh, into that first round because i think those fundamentals could have been refined and uh i i listed him as wild hands and inconsistent leverage and pad level and uh i i do think isaiah wilson i i mean you can't really knock him for for coming out a year early because all it's going to do is give the team a little more time to develop them themselves. Um, and so, I mean, wherever he goes, I think somebody's going to get a steal. Because if if you give this guy another 12 months, he's a first-round pick. Yeah, I agree. And, you know, let, let's say, for example, the Chargers decide to grab a receiver in round two. And then round three, they want to grab a tackle. Like, if you grab Isaiah Wilson, 
you plug him in immediately and he's a huge upgrade over Sam Tevy. Um, there, granted there will be some, some lumps just because he's a rookie and, and his technique isn't, you know, fantastic, but still he would be much better than Sam Tevy. All right. So moving on, I got Ben Barch out of St. John listed at six, six, three Oh five. And Ben Barch, I, I loved this guy. And I don't know if it's just because the guys I talked to really love this guy, but watching him on a film is just exciting. You mm-hmm. you, you get excited watching him. This dude has an insane initial punch. He like like it's almost like it's almost like he has the cannons out of Iron Man in his in his palms. And when he with that initial punch, it just it just blows these guys away. I I love watching Ben Barch on. Uh, uh, I love it. I don't know. I'm getting a little excited. I need to calm down. I do this. <laughs> I do this, guys. No, you're good. And it's important to know that he's switched from tight end too. So he's a he's a natural athlete, and he would right. bring definitely a, a good mobility to the NFL. Yeah, he's got quick feet paired with good hand location and do pancakes for days. This guy this guy would have some games where it would just be pancake, pancake, pancake. And, you know, I just love – I just – I like pancakes. I don't know if you guys like pancakes. You put a little <laughs> banana on it sometimes. It could be good. It could be good. Ugh, especially if it's crunchy on the outside and a little – okay, we're getting that's beside the point. This guy finds work <laughs> on every play. I, I love Ben Barch, guys. He, he finds work. He's a really smart player. He's very aware of everything going around him. And for my negatives, I just put – I don't know, man. He's, he's really freaking good. Ben Barch is good. I love Ben Barch. Honestly, they could take him at the top of the sixth – or why do I keep saying that? <laughs> They could take him at the beginning of the second round, and uh, I'm good with it. Let's take Ben Barch. Get him. Get him. Yeah, so, you know, we each have our guys here, and, you know, Ben Barch, I think he he's just a likable dude. And you know, the fact that he was at St. John's and he went there as a tight end, and now he's going to the NFL as an offensive tackle, like, it's just kind of crazy. Um, so this is going to be our end of day one and day two. Um, once you get into day three of offensive tackles, like really you're, you're hoping to get someone that could be a potential like swing tackle and, and can come in as a, and, uh, start games in a pinch. And, you know, we have players like Russell Kung who are miss the occasional game. You, you just plug this guy in and, and he does good and he's a solid guy. Um, these guys are definitely not going to offer the same kind of upside of anyone that we've mentioned so far. And to that point, my first guy is going to be Hakeem Adenji. Um, he comes out of Kansas and he's 6'4", 302 pounds. Um, what I like about Adenji is he's got very quick pass sets. His footwork is excellent. Um, he started every single game for the last four years for Kansas, which I know they're kind of a laughing stock, but um, it's no fault of his own. He, I think he really has a high motor. His technique is fairly sound. He's just not that great of an athlete, and he's not the strongest guy. Like he, He'll struggle with bull rushes at the next level, but... You know, if you're drafting a Denji and you want someone that can come in and be that swing tackle and, you know, maybe push for a roster spot, I think a Denji is good enough to do that. Um, like I said, you know, he has his challenges, but technique-wise, he's got all of that and he's very savvy. He's really smart. He shows off some good techniques and make, creating walls for running lanes. Um, so if you take him in the fifth or sixth round, I think you're getting a, a good guy for depth. Yeah, when you get a guy that's six four and only three hundred, you you you're gonna have the the drawbacks of he doesn't have very much power. He's he mm-hmm. doesn't have the best footwork. I don't think he finds himself off balance with his footwork at, at times, but um, particularly in the run game. Um, but he he does he's very smart is what what pops with him. He's he's got a very high football IQ, and you can tell he finds work uh, in both the pass and run sets. Uh, so moving on to my guy is going to be Sadiq Charles out of LSU listed as 6'4", 295. So another small one. Uh, well, small, 6'4", 295. <laughs> Not as small by any means. Um, so Sadiq has great footwork, uh, and he's a fantastic athlete, I, I feel. He, he will find work as a run blocker. He's extremely mobile, and I can see him coming in on those uh, those sets where you bring in an extra tackle, uh, kind of the way they used Ryan Groy this season. And uh, just have him run block, get to get to the second level and run block because he he knows how to find work there. And I have that listed next. He finds work. He's a smart player with good awareness. And the drawback with him is he's not not particularly strong. Uh, he really leaves a lot to be desired with his power, and he doesn't really pop. Um, and he's not particularly balanced. Uh, got a, struggles with his base and power rushers such as like Joey Bosa, and we'll have a field day with this guy because when you mix that that lack of power 
with that lack of balance, you could get steamrolled by by these mm-hmm. guys. So anytime he he goes against like a stronger guy, even to the extent of like a Clarelin Barrel, uh, I think he's going to struggle with it. Yeah, that's definitely a fair assessment. And, and like I was saying, you know, if he's your swing tackle, I think you're you're in good shape. But you know, you're definitely not drafting him to be a starter right away. Um, so my next guy that I want to talk about is Calvin Throckmorton. Um, he's out of Oregon. He's six five three ten, and and he caught a lot of slack for his performance at the Senior Bowl. Um, but we were talking with Chris Harrison how difficult it was to switch positions. This guy was a right tackle his entire life. Went to the Shrine Bowl and they put him at left guard, and then he went to the Senior Bowl as a last minute addition and was playing left tackle. So he was out of position after playing in another position the week before. So you know those were some extreme circumstances that I kind of just chalk up to to not being comfortable in that kind of environment and that kind of situation, which is why Bradley and I and Joshua J kind of had a field day against him. I still like him. You know, if you're taking him in the sixth or seventh round, I think you're getting a, again, you're getting a good swing tackle that could come in and and compete for a roster spot, compete to be a swing tackle. Um, He's got excellent mobility. And, you know, we've talked about how much, how many screens Oregon ran and a lot of that was because of Calvin Throckmorton and, and his ability to get out in space and make some plays. Um, he has good lateral quickness. It's not great, but he can get the job done when he needs to. And, he, and again, he's not the strongest guy. Um, bull rushers are going to have good success against him. Um, but he does have good at technique in the run game, and, and you know he's smart. So in all likelihood, he's probably just that swing tackle. Um, but there is some, some good things to like there. Yeah, my top two traits for him are he's a technician and he's very aware and very smart. Yeah, um, but he he does struggle with that balance in part due to that lack of power against those those power moves. So uh, my guy is going to be John Runyon out of Michigan, listed at six five three twenty, and uh, he's he's a very agile, very athletic guy, um, very technically sound in pass protection. That's and that's about where the list ends. He's technically sound. He's smart. He's agile. Um, he, he does have a lack of strength, which is interesting going from watching Andrew Thomas, who is at the exact same size. Um, but compared to Andrew Thomas, it's really disappointing to watch that, that power. He doesn't have it. And um, as much as I like the, the athleticism of John Runyon and uh, how smart he is, he'll find work, as we've been mentioning previously with these other guys. Um, he doesn't flash on film. He, he really doesn't. There's no play that really wows you about John Runyon and makes you feel like, yeah, he, he could be a good tackle at the next level. Uh, he, but due to that, that, that technique, I, I think he could be a good swing tackle. I think you could take a chance on him and hope that that, that high Q, what that high football IQ will, will work out for him. Uh, but yeah, the, just the, the physical traits in terms of anything that has to do with power are really disappointing. Uh, in the quarterbacks podcast, I asked you guys who you would take from this class over Easton Stick. Just out of curiosity, who would you take of the guys you mentioned over Sam Tevy? Over Sam Tevy? All of them. Mm-hmm. Oh my God. You could have been, <laughs> I thought you were going to say Trey Pipkins. <laughs> I was like, oh, I'll have to think about this a little bit. Tam, Sam Tevy? Tyler. Okay, who, who would you take over Trey Pipkins? Okay, that's better. Poor, right, poor Sam Tevy. Like, Sam Tevy, you're a great guy, you know, but. Mm-hmm. We need to. We need better out of this position. <laughs> this is not a drill, Sam Tevy session. I, I promise. I actually, and to Sam Tevy's credit, he did have a couple games last season where you could see him start to put things together and uh, see him start to like gain a little confidence. But right when that happened, he got hurt, and it's it's disappointing because that's all it could take. Sometimes is a snap of the finger, and a guy gets it. And then he builds momentum and starts becoming that that yeah. veteran guy that you're looking for. And mm-hmm. so who knows? Maybe Sam Tevy could have taken the leap in that in, in this season, and that injury just threw it all off. So I don't know. I was I was actually kind of excited when I saw Sam Tevy start to perform, and it's just unfortunate that this is where we are now. Um, but in terms of the question of um, realistically, who would I take over Sam Tevy or Trey Pipkins? Um, in terms of your initial question with Sam Tevy, I would say I would take obviously all the early round guys on this list. Yeah, and um, I think I would list John Runyon and Calvin Throckmorton just behind Tevy at this point. If they develop, I could see them getting better. But at this point, I think Te- Tevy has it 
as an upper hand on them just because he's been around longer. And I think Tevi has developed to an okay point. He still struggles a lot with inside moves, like a ton. Um, but in terms of Trey Pipkins, obviously like the first round guys we talked about, Becton, Wirfs, Jackson, Barch, Thomas, Jones, Wilson. Actually, I think I think Josh Jones and Trey Pipkins are on the same level. I'm gonna be honest. I think I think those two are pretty close to the same player. And I might get heat for that, but I'm just not sold on Josh Jones. I think he has a lot of tools, but Trey Pipkins also has a lot of tools. And uh, I think both just need a lot of technical refinement. And so I, I, I'd i be okay with Josh Jones in the second because I do think he has a higher upside than Pipkins. But I think those two are pretty close to the same player. Yeah, that's fair. As far as Sam Tevy goes, um, I agree. I, I would list all of them except for Throckmorton and Runyon um above him yeah and it's important to point out like sam tevy was a six-round pick and you know he wasn't drafted to be a starter he was drafted to be a swing tackle like we were talking about joe barksdale was a starter at that time um which that's a whole another topic to talk about Um, he's a good guy and he plays the guitar and he's cool but once he got hurt sam tevy was kind of thrust into that role and he was just a rookie um at that time so you know realistically when you draft a guy like Sam Tevy, it's the same thing when you're drafting Throckmorton and Runyon and Adenji, you're drafting a guy that's ideally a swing tackle. Um, I think Tevy's a bit of a better athlete than Adenji or Throckmorton, but I think technique-wise, those guys are probably better right now at the same time that Tevy was, if that makes sense. Um, Of my guys that I listed, I would take Wills, Thomas, Jones, and Wilson above Trey Pipkins right now. You know, I see what Jason's saying with the Josh Jones things, um, but I think Josh Jones is a, is a lot is a better athlete. I think he has quicker feet, and I think you know Trey Pipkins could get there. I just think Josh Jones is a better natural athlete at this time. I think there's something to be said about comparing the the technique and the smarts of these later round guys to the athleticism of Tevi. It's kind of hard when you're when you're thinking about any position including quarterback, receiver, running back. Do you do you want a guy with good ball carrier vision at running back or do you want a guy that that has the natural athleticism but hasn't put it in all together above the shoulders? Do you want uh, Justin Herbert where he has a rocket for an arm but under pressure he just doesn't have it there yet? Do you want a guy with amazing physical tools um, or do you want a guy that's a good route runner? And it's kind of the same thing with O-line. Do you want this toolsy prospect, like such as Pipkins or Jones, that can come in and be a very athletic guy? And if he puts it all together above the shoulders, you have uh, an elite guy now. You have this this elite pass protector. And I think that's where the Telesco's kind of gone. He's the the technicians haven't worked out. Lamp was a very good technician. Uh, Feeney, he, he he was a little more unorthodox, but he was a great run blocker. He, you never question his technique as a run blocker. It was all as a pass blocker. And you, you feel like Telesco kind of made a statement by taking Pipkins that I'm not, I'm not going to go this route anymore. I'm going to kind of switch it up. I want my, I want my tackles to have some tools. I'm tired of just these guys that are just, that just stand there a bit like Barksdale and like Okung. He wants somebody who can go out and move, um, and Okung's probably a bad example as Okung can get out there and move in the screen game, but, uh, like Barksdale and, uh, Orlando Franklin that just were, were guys that would sit there as anchors. Um, I think like, I think Telesco's kind of learned and he's just, he, maybe he wants to turn the page and not deal with that anymore. Yeah. I definitely agree that Telesco has, has been learning. And I think, you know, when you take a guy who's just strong, like you have that safe floor, you know, DJ Fluger is another one where you, you know that they're going to be at least good because of how strong they are and how much of an anchor they can present. Um, but this is why that hiring of the offensive, the new offensive line coach is so important because you take a guy like Pipkins, you take a guy like Josh Jones or Isaiah Wilson that are just raw athletic projects, and hopefully you're you're banking on this new coach being able to refine that technique, which he's shown the ability to do and turn these guys from raw projects into potential pro bowl and all pro players. Yeah. It sounds like you guys are pretty okay with taking any of these guys over Tevi and it, it would be an upgrade. Um, but how many of them you think would actually be like a legitimate starting right tackle? Like how long can the chargers wait? 
you know, they do, they do need to upgrade, and it sounds like there's a lot of options, but how many of them are not just an upgrade, but like a legit starting right tackle? Um, you probably got... Oof. So the reason I, I, I picked these guys to, to study them and mention them is because I do believe in all of these guys to an extent, even all the guys Steven listed, uh, even when you get to guys like Calvin Throckmorton and John Runyon, I do think that they can work to an extent. I think if you put them in the right scheme and work work with them and work with their strengths, if you if you work to their, their pros, you can get something out of them. Um, if they want to go the, the route where, they, where they're going with Trey Pipkins and where they have a little more agility or even Scott Questenberry, that's, there's two key pieces on the Chargers line right now in Scott Questenberry and uh, Trey Pipkins that are more mobile athletic guys that can get to the second level, and they have the tools. And so if you want to continue that trend, I mean, all, all these guys offer a little bit there. Um, I think in terms of how long you wait to get one, I – at latest third round and you're really pushing it you're pushing yeah. it yeah we've talked we've talked a bit about how deep this class is at right wide receiver and and offensive tackle like those are the two best classes those are the two best position groups um if you wait till the third round you're really kind of playing rushing roulette where you're kind of just like banking on and risking such a, a big problem with for your franchise so a lot of that depends on what they do with the quarterback position um, I think if you get Cam Newton, I think you take Jedrick Wills or Tristan Wirfs or Andrew Thomas or Beckton, I think you take them at six. Then you have that elite cornerstone tackle that can come in right away and, and um, contribute to your franchise. If you want to draft a quarterback at six to a Herbert Love, then I think you have to 100% take a tackle in the second round because you don't want to risk, like say you get to the – get to the third round and Isaiah Wilson's gone. Josh Jones is gone. Austin Jackson's gone. All these quality tackles are gone and you're left with, you know, I'm high on Prince Tega Wanogo, but not that high. And then, you know, you're left with like the scraps of the offensive tackle. So, you know, receiver is deep enough where I would feel comfortable waiting. And so I think you have to address the tackle position by at least round two. Yeah. There's probably like 10 offensive tackles that I would put, in like on the at the top like mm-hmm. 10 that would be taken in the first two days there's probably like 20 receivers that are going to be taken in the first two days so yeah. if you put it that way where there's double the amount of receivers than there is the amount of alignment you, you got to take the offensive lineman in the second round and i mean like if you're i'm not going to be disappointed that they wait and take kj hamler instead of or lynn bowden in the third round instead of taking brandon Ayuk in the second round like i'll go wait for lynn bowden so yeah, I think legitimately you have Wills, Thomas, Wirfs, and um, Beckton who will for sure go in the first round. Um, then you have Josh Jones who can maybe sneak into the first round. Um, maybe Ben Barched. I think that's probably a big reach. Um, but then in the second round, like like Jason is saying, you know, there's just kind of this group of offensive tackles where you're you're waiting to see whether where they'll go and it's similar to the quarterback position like if you have an offensive tackle that's your guy you have to get him in the second round i think um you know if you get any one of these guys i think that's a that's a good good upgrade and then you know there's an argument that they maybe could should double down later on and grab a guy like throgmorton or runyon um but we can talk more about that in a later episode if we want that's it for today thanks to guys what the hell anyway that's it for today. Thanks again, Chris, for your time. Jason and Steven, as always, where can we find you on Twitter? So you can find me on Twitter at Centauri13, hashtag love at six. <laughs> Every time. So my personal Twitter is Steven I. Hagland, and then you can follow the podcast account, which I do run at uh, GAC Podcast 17. And then I did want to take a moment to thank all the people who have uh, left reviews on the Apple page and, and the other sites as well. Um, all ratings if they're five stars, they help all reviews help as well. Um, and we definitely appreciate all the support and all the, the downloads and listens and everything from you guys that it's been really positive so far. And we're very grateful. Absolutely. Thank you so much, guys. This is Tyler. You can find me at Tyler J. Shoon. Thanks for listening. And we'll see you next week. Bye. Everyone is talking about magnesium. It's all you hear about, but why, what do we know about magnesium? 
Well, magnesium is the number one mineral that 75% of Americans are deficient in. If you are a woman over 35, magnesium will help you rediscover balance, energy, and vitality. Magnesium supports more than 300 enzymatic reactions in your body, including those involved in hormonal balance. From functional medicine doctors to mental well-being and female hormone experts, we all know that magnesium is the one mineral to improve all aspects of well-being and health. But which one? Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers. The trusted choice recommended by leading experts with seven best-absorbed forms of magnesium to ensure your body receives the support it needs for overall well-being. Go to bioptimizers.com slash balance today and use code BALANCE10 for 10% off. Support your journey to wellness at B-I-O-P-T-I-M-I-Z-E-R-S dot com forward slash balance. Magnesium Breakthrough from Bioptimizers, your foundation to optimal health and vitality.